Hey Rebels, my name is Matthew Barton. Welcome to the Rebellion Brewing Podcast. Today, we're shaking things up a bit. Kevin Brown joins me, not as a guest, but as a co-host. We're going to be talking about the perfect beers for winter, making some recommendations, and talking about what's going on in the SAS craft beer scene. So let's get into it. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. This is uh, this is a blast. I've been on as a guest, obviously, before, but coming on as a co-host, this is uh, very exciting. Big shoes to fill, big shoes to fill. Absolutely. <laughs> Physically and metaphorically, yeah. <laughs> I guess we should clarify to the audience that you're actually recording in Saskatoon while I'm in Regina. I'm using the power of technology to be able to see each other's beautiful visage at the same time as we're recording, so it's great. What I wanted to start with was introducing the theme of today's episode, which is talking all about the best winter beers, the best styles that can come out in the winter season. And I kind of wanted to throw the ball into your court and say, when I pitched this idea to you, what immediately came to mind? Yeah, I mean, of course, you, you think winter, you just, you, you do, your mind goes straight to stouts, really, right? I mean, it's it's oatmeal stouts, um, coffee stouts, any of the big sort of Russian imperial stouts, those types of things, because on a cold day, it's nice to get something warm inside you, and that higher alcohol content, especially sometimes, can just be a nice warmer. Um, but I think, you know, we shouldn't forget some of those other seasonal beers that do come out, like a, a just a regular, plain old oatmeal stout's great. Um, I do like a black IPA as well, and we'll, I know we're going to most likely talk about those um, in some depth. Um, and then I'd like some of the bigger Belgian beers that come out too around this time. So, you know, Jeff Allport sometimes will put out something, or it might be a Blackbridge might put out a seasonal, I don't, Rebellion does... I've done a quads and triples before, so hopefully something like that might come down the pipe. So anything that's got a bit more booze in it, for me, is one of those things that's um, that's really, really nice. How about you? Again, I come back to it, and I'm a stout guy year-round, but really when you feel the weather change, when it gets cold, you want that nice, rich, cozy, warm hug in a glass. And you said you mentioned boozy beers. And maybe maybe those notes of caramel and toffee. Um, and maybe we're talking about malt forward beers. And to clarify to folks, when I say malt forward, I mean the, an expression of the barley as the main focus, not just hops, which is great for wet hop beers and in the fall and those those nice hazies. But when it comes to winter, I think that people kind of get a bit of a sweet teeth. Yeah, absolutely. And you can, like you said, I mean, you can get those. It doesn't have to be a big stout either, right? You know, it's, if you think about um, Palabon's Vienna Lager or you, the Rebellion Amber Lager, some of those beers where you get that that nice toffee or biscuity kind of malt coming through, I think those can work just as well. They don't have to be, you know, big ten percent beers, but yeah, getting that sort of that sweetness and that richness coming through, I think that's the that's the key. Although, like you said, I mean, I'm not particularly a seasonal drinker. You know, I'll drink a Russian Imperial Stout in July. I'll drink a Pilsner in December. It, just depends on what I'm feeling like on the day. Um, so I don't some, tend to completely switch my drinking habits, which I don't think too many people really do. We just sort of drink... Well, I think people tend to drink more stouts in winter, but they're still going to drink their IPAs, they're still going to drink their lagers, they're still going to drink all those things anyway, So and sours, you know. When we think about audiences, we often talk about... The, the, there's the people who just drink the same thing all the time and never want to change, never want to switch. And then there's the people who are always chasing something new they always got to have new 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 the novel beer experience 
and I want to say that it it's those people on the cutting edge that discover the styles, but it's the the people that never ever change who make those styles enduring. <laughs> and you know if you can convince them to switch off their light lager they've been drinking all year to get into like a stout or a barrel aged, that's a really successful beer. Absolutely, yeah. and you can do that. I think that does end up being incremental and progressive too, right? You can get off a lager onto maybe a blonde or onto a really light session ale or something. From there, you can sort of guide people very gently down that road. But, but yeah, definitely. I mean, there are, there are definitely people who have a beer. My wife is one of them. She drinks Zilla IPA, and that's pretty much it. That's the only thing. And she switched from Blackbridge IPA. I think I was telling you about six months ago. And so that's her. She's a single beer gal, and that's just fine. But uh, oh man, you're missing out on so much when you do that. I think. <laughs> I think I think that's a great way to transition into uh, the next piece, which is recommending a singular winter beer. Just just that one perfect beer you wanted to show off. So I'm going to take that opportunity to talk about the Black IPA, which is based on our Zilla, except we took a bunch of roasted malts, those chocolate malts, threw them in there, and god damn, if it isn't my favorite beer of 2021 like hands down blew my mind so is it the same hot bill as zillivan it's the exact same base beer they just That's interesting yeah. those malts get that nice dark rich character when it's great getting those black ipas coming back in because we don't tend to see as many of them and i know that you know you guys will find the same thing they don't tend to sell as quickly just for some reason they're not a big hit with a lot of people um, and even amongst the sort of the hardcore craft beer nerd community i've got a couple of friends who you know whose palates i respect absolutely but they don't they don't really drink black ipas um i, I think i might have told you this before in, in conversation but black ipas for me were a bit anathema when i started drinking craft beer and i think partially it's because we pretty much only got old product in the province. So we were getting stuff from BC and Alberta, but it was, you know, past its shelf life. And the trouble with those sometimes is a black IPA, when it does turn, it turns metallic. You know, you get that real sort of metallic tang to it. And I just thought, well, if this is what they're supposed to taste like, I don't think I'm into them. And then I was down at the farmer's market in Saskatoon one weekend when Jeff Allport came in and he brought his Cascadian and just blew my socks off. And that was sort of, I was like, oh, actually, now it's my favorite IPA style. Definitely hands down. So whenever the black IPAs come out, I'm a very happy bunny. I was going to say that my my 1.5 placed beer to choose, if I couldn't pick black IPA, it would be Nokomis Cascadian Dark Ale. Um, to circle back to what you were talking about, I think the problem with black IPA traditionally is they haven't brewed enough of them to polish the recipe. The Maybe the pool of drinkers drinking it hasn't been large enough to absorb those batches fast enough so brewers can really iterate and test and shave off those rough edges of like the the bitter and the acrid flavors or we also know that maltsters when they are working with grain it's it's a different lineup to do a darker roastier malt so they're they're trying to thread that needle too and so if the maltster is not using and creating that product exactly the same way every time and iterating as fast and the brewers aren't iterating as fast i think there's a there's an opportunity for more to go wrong because it's not something that we have a lot of repetition of yeah it's an interesting point like i hadn't, I hadn't thought about that maybe where what you'd have to do is reduce your batch size you know just run a like a single batch instead of a double or run a half batch and just trying to get it through and we've got a couple coming out 
right away and they're two, two different black IPAs and one's a double and one's a single one's a rye but it's it can be tricky right like you said I mean and then putting two on at the same time that can get tricky because you're going to uh, you know you sort of split your split your audience so to speak so that's a good point that if you don't have the consumer base getting through it quickly enough then you don't have that iteration and certainly you might not have a focus on it either right so you know every brewery is going to put out an IPA or two or three in different variations because you know you're going to rip through those black IPAs not quite so much. And the same thing with, I would say, the same thing with stouts to a degree as well. We don't see as many oatmeal stouts, right? I know that you're a huge fan of the oatmeal stouts, and that doesn't come around often enough for you, so. <laughs> I was having one on Friday, and I was just thinking, man, I wish more people could just get turned on to this. It's so fantastic. Um, when it comes to that black IPA, one of the things I think it has going for it, and Mark and I were talking about this this morning, was... People fundamentally understand now what an IPA is. The market is there. They go, okay, I understand black IPA. That's not so scary. And then they go, well, black IPA. Well, I've had a white IPA. So what's what's the opposite? A black IPA. And then when they taste one that's done well, that's well balanced, like Jeff's uh, Cascadian or uh, Zola Vanessa's black IPA, it really can just tip the scales and, and open people's eyes to to something new and something special absolutely yeah it's, it's always that thing right when anyone says oh i don't like style x of beer it's like well i wouldn't write the whole style off and i have a, a few that i don't tend to gravitate to i don't tend to gravitate towards rye beers and i don't tend to gravitate towards ambers and, and reds but give me a good one and i'll flip on a dime right if you show me that i'm wrong i'm gonna flip on a dime i'm not gonna stick to my guns just for the sake of doing it um yeah, but my so we sort of my singular winter beer. I, it's it's so difficult to pick one, right? Um, but I, I I have to go home team two, and it's always going to be Little Empress for me. I just I adore that beer. It's one of my all time favorite Sask beers, and it was Casey didn't brew it for he did the first batch and then didn't brew it again for about I don't know eighteen months, two years or something. I kept on and on and on him, and it's beautiful because it's a it's a Russian Imperial Stout. It's got all the you know the richness and the flavors and all the all the notes you expect out of that style, but it's it's only seven and a half percent. So you can have one or two. I certainly can have one or two without being in a, a complete puddle. Um, but I'd want to throw out two quick honorable mentions too because I would feel bad if I didn't. Um, I'm a huge fan of the Pile of Bones Coconut Porter. That's when I've t- drunk a ton of that stuff. And then the other one I was thinking about, and it kind of comes back a little bit to what we were saying about we tend to sort of chase the new thing all the time and forget that actually there's a beer here that's absolutely fabulous. And to me, Blackbridge's Milk Stout. Every time I pick up a four-pack, I'm like, God, this is good. I, I always forget how good this beer is, and it's consistent. Every single time I pick it up, I love it. So I'd throw those two out as well as uh, as my second and third choices if I had them. So Let's revisit Little Empress. Little Empress, 21st Street Brewing. You know, I've had it, and I think the last time I had it, I picked up licorice, and yep. I I was like, this is too much for me because I'm, I'm not a licorice guy. <laughs> yeah. But... Everybody else at the table who was drinking it was like, oh, my God, licorice, I love it. And I'm like, okay, I'm glad you love licorice. Yeah, and that's one of the things that draws me to it, Matt, is I, I, I adore licorice, and it's something that I always look for in an Imperial Stout because it does come through in, you know, to varying degrees in most of those those big risks. So, so I always look for it, but, yeah, absolutely, it's a, a fairly prominent note in that beer. Yeah, definitely. The very first licorice beer, I think, was called something like Thor's Hammer. It was this Wisconsin beer. Okay. It had this whole Nordic theme. And it was like molasses. It was like chewing on thick, sticky uh, jujubes, those black jujubes of licorice. And then 
I think that traumatized me. So when I had little <laughs> Empress, I, it just flashed me back to that, that Thor's and because it was such a big, heavy beer, I, like my chest was warm and my cheeks were flush. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you remember, what was it? I think it was How Sound Brewing. They used to do those, those um, not bombers, two liters. Yeah, the, the big bomb. I think they were even bigger than that. They were like a, a full liter, I think they were. They were those huge bottles, but they did that Mega Destroyer, which was that, it was an Imperial licorice stout. And I used to love that beer, but I had one about two and a half years ago. And because our scenes come so far now, you go back and revisit some of those old beers you used to sort of put on a pedestal, and it's so one-dimensional, and it's quite thin. It's not really a big... Even at 10%, it's not a big stout, and the licorice is just all there is. That's the only flavor you get from it. So I was kind of like... It's a bit disappointed. Like you said, don't meet your heroes. Like, it, don't go back to those beers sometimes. Just leave them in your memory. <laughs> <laughs> that, that does happen to me. And what I've noticed... Um, I'm glad you brought that up. Customers have been coming to me over the last six months and saying wow, I used to really like beer X and then I tried all these others and then I come back to beer X and it's just not the same anymore. And I'm like, yeah, you can't go home again. Absolutely. I was just literally, I was at Nine Mile um, with Aaron Brown from the from the Beer Lovers group, who you probably know. Um, and we were talking about, well, Guinness. And I know that Guinness isn't the best example because it's not really craft beer, but that beer, it's so thin and sugary. It, I just, I don't know how anyone, you know what I mean? Like, it's a beer that I'd, kind of got me into dark beers when I was younger, when I was probably 18, 17, 18. And I thought it was very, you know, urbane and, and cultured by drinking Guinness. But but now it's just, yeah, it's just a train wreck. It's basically Bud Light as the stout world. I, I just, I can't do it anymore. I, I don't know if you want to maybe cut that out. I don't know if we're being too slammy with different beers. But, <laughs> but I just, I can't drink it anymore. And Aaron said the same thing. Like, you go back to those beers and you think, well, how did I... Red Racer would be another one. Red Racer IPA is another beer where I, I thought that was just the pinnacle i thought i don't think ipas are going to get better than this i don't think i'm going to taste a better ipa than this and it's still good if it's fresh but it's certainly not the beer that i used to think it was you know one of the nice things is i think brewers are getting smarter consumers are catching up and growers maltsters producers are producing something that's better and more science-based. And even though we're fighting against Mother Nature, we're fighting against weather and the elements, the science is so much tighter when it comes to getting consistent ingredients that fundamentally those old recipes have to be modified to meet today's um, ingredients. They're never going to taste the same because we've just moved on in the production cycle. And I, I think that's okay. Uh, like Red Racer, I'm always going to have a little soft spot in my heart. I remember one of my like 19, uh, not, not 1999. It was like 2001, 2002. And I've got an old, old picture of Red Racer. And I had raced out to the one store in Regina that could possibly get it. Cause it wasn't at SLG. And they're like, we have a pallet of Red Racer and you'd, you'd run over there and you know, there'd be nerds, <laughs> like scrapping over these <laughs> yeah. very few cans and now uh, we're like we, i'm not saying we turn our nose up but we've just we've moved on yeah and, and again it comes down to getting it fresh right but so that's always the the key with these out of province beers if, if you get them in and they're a month old that's fine but you get in 12 month old products and when we've got something that literally just came out of the tank 15 yards away it's hard to justify spending the money on it right so spoiled absolutely we are Absolutely. 
Well, what have we got? 16, 17 breweries in the province now? Something around there? Must be close to that now. Last I was talking to Mark, I think we were up to 25 licensed production facilities. Wow, I didn't realize it was that high now. Wow. There's some variation in the definitions of what kind of products they're producing and how they're doing it. Whether it's uh, what you might describe or I might describe as a stir and serve or a full mash, which is what we'll do, where we take the grain, crack it, throw it in the in the mash tun and then give her um but they're they're producing something <laughs> yeah no it's great i mean it's we talked about this last time i was i was talking to you on the podcast just the the steady and increasingly sort of ramping up just the just the, the uptake of craft beer in the province and you've just seen it in more locations now even just smaller pubs they'll have at least one or two on i'm seeing it in the soccer center we're starting to see it at places like the the, the, the movie theaters they're starting to ask about those kinds of things so it's just it's the proliferation of that it's just fantastic for everyone especially the industry right so one of the things i wanted to transition into was talking about saskatchewan's beer scene and one of the ways that we've kind of been plugged into that is the saskatchewan beer lovers forum on facebook we've got thousands of members now it's grown qu- quite rapidly over the last what would you say few years two three years yeah i think in the like i was looking at this the other day and i couldn't the only thing with facebook is they don't give you the stats back you know i think they're only six months maybe or 12 months um but i remember when i remember a big push to get us to 500 members i remember i remember that distinctly as i I taken over from chris as, as admin and i really wanted to get us to 500 members and that was probably i'd say maybe five five years ago i would say and now we're at, so I, was, I ran some of the numbers today and it, they're crazy. It's even better than I thought. So last year in October, we were at 2,200 members. Now we're at 3,300. So that's a literally 100% increase in one year. Um, in the last 12 months, we've had 6,500 posts, 39,500 comments, and 190,000 190, reactions on posts about beer in a Saskatchewan Beer Lovers group. That's just. That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. And I would never have believed you. I would have thought you were an asset if you told me that two, three, four years ago. <laughs> I think people are really, really excited to share what they're talking about. You think of something like one of those Costco Facebook groups where they're talking about Costco products. There is a niche for Saskatchewan beer. And and it's hard to it's hard to stay on top of it if you're not super hardcore. But it's a great resource to pop into and say, hey, I'm learning or I'm exploring or I want to try this or just seeing what other people are interested in and trying. And, and that I think that's the kind of usefulness it's been to me is to really keep an eye on the Saskatoon scene, which I haven't been able to do because it's been pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like I said, I mean, we've got, as I said, we've got 3,300 members now. Well, I mean, they're not all posting constantly or not even commenting most of them i'd say we've got uh, we've probably got about 50 or so really committed regular members who actively post out on a consistent basis and it's quality content if you want to you know put that tag on it where it's something that's useful to the group and then but then you've got a lot of people there sitting you know hundreds and or thousands of people who are sitting watching all this and like you said that information is going in now they're learning that oh actually we've got craft maltsters in the province and they're making this stuff that you know um that goes directly to breweries and they're going picking up hops so it's, it's 100% Saskatchewan ingredients 
it's 100% Saskatchewan residents making distributed packaging, distributing the beer, and all the profits stay in the province. And that message definitely, I think, is filtering through. And I know that I've got friends who've joined the group either sort of unbeknownst to me and they've just sort of popped up or they've or I've added them and I know that they're not really craft beer people, but then they've got into it. And I can see that, okay, yeah, now they're, they're only drinking craft beer. They've moved that in that direction and they're asking, you know, really good questions and sort of I'm, I'm figuring all this stuff out. So on that side of it, like you said, even though I would say we've got, yeah, around 50 or so people who are sort of those drivers behind any of these these conversations, just that um, the breadth of sort of the, the reach that we're getting, I guess, is is really important. And it's really good for the brewers. And I know that that's why most of the brewers are on the in the group, right? It's just to keep an eye on, well, what are people talking about? Is anyone drinking Pilsner? Is anyone drinking a stout? It's useful information. <laughs> I know that... Um, one of the one of the moves that you made recently was to add some more admins to the group. Can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, we and for those people who don't know, we, we'd had. I wouldn't say it was a, a major issue at the time, but there was a trigger issue that happened within the group with someone being um, demeaning towards female members of the group. And at that point, we sort of had, or I had to think about that and think, okay, well, are we doing? Are me and you, as as white CIS males, are we doing enough? to provide an environment that's inclusive and welcoming to and safe for everyone. And the answer when I went through my own sort of self-reflection on that is probably not. I think we need to you know, broaden this out and get some female representation in the admins because then if there's something going on in the group and a female member doesn't feel confident or non-binary or whomever doesn't feel comfortable coming to one of us, because they might not know us, and we're both fairly boisterous and you know a bit rammy and shouty sometimes. Um, then they've got someone else they can go to, and I think that that diversity and inclusivity is really, really important. Because as the scene grows, and we've got, you know, we do have members of every race, religion, color, gender, everything. You need to sort of have that that representation in the in the admin team. I think so. I'm glad we made that move. I've always kind of tried to take a very laissez-faire approach to uh, moderation. If it's um not descending into personal attacks. I'm fine with people disagreeing or comments getting spicy, um, but I know other people have a different level of threshold and a different perspective. And when some of those threads were kind of exploding, I, I would peek in and be like, well, you guys, uh, I don't know, okay. And I would just kind of let it go. And then I would get private messages from other members saying, this is, this is offside, this isn't cool. And I'm like, oh, well, Go disagree with them then. Go publicly yeah. tell them, hey, knock it off. And they kind of were looking to us to say, no, you as the admin need to tell them to knock it off. Whereas I kind of, in my brain, thought it's a, it's a broader group community. It's not like this top-down um, hammer fist that just comes in and kicks you out or bans you or, or smashes you in the mouth. I would rather people have a fulsome conversation. Absolutely, and on the same sort of, or the flip side of that, but the same token, it, you get to that point where we're starting to get into this sort of 3,000, if we grow up to sort of 5,000, 6,000, then you, we do have more responsibility than to moderate, right? We do have that responsibility to say, you know, this isn't, it's okay now that we've got, if when you've got 500 people and you've got, you know, one or two people and we all know the names who we're going to shit stir, you can manage that and everyone expects it. But once it starts getting bigger than that, then you, that's when you do need moderation. I think having the, the two um, girls, so Kim McDougall and Anna Cole, are our two uh, additional mod, uh, admins, having them even just to split out the workload sometimes is fantastic, right? So, But it's, yeah, it's something that's, it's, like I said, that responsibility, I never really thought of it in that way either because it's just, it's just a group on Facebook. I don't, I don't set really any store by what goes on on Facebook, but 
it does impact people's daily lives. And when it starts to get too negative, like you say, if, if we're getting direct messages, then it sort of makes you evaluate, okay, well, maybe we do have a bit more of a sort of a, a direct role to play in some of those conversations. So, One of the things I do like is um, Kim and Anna really do contribute a, a different perspective that I can appreciate and I'm 100% willing to listen. And Anna just, she really has her finger on the pulse and, and she'll say, she would private message me in the past just a couple of times to be like, hey, heads up, uh, like this is an issue. And I'm glad she's giving her voice and, and giving a little bit of her time to, to kind of, uh, how do I put it nicely, uh, keep the inmates in line. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. No, that's that's absolutely. I mean, and that's going through and sort of talking about who to try to bring in or to certainly to approach to say, will you do this? That, those are the voices you want. The, the you know, sort of uh, balanced, good equilibrium, not prone to sort of going off on a on a fly every time someone says something. You can just sit back and sort of look at it. And, and but like you said, bring that different that different perspective. So yeah, I think they're, they're both doing a, such a fantastic job. So. When it comes to shitposting, I'm often trying to get um, memes going or making people laugh, and I'm trying to make jokes and maybe even poke fun at the breweries themselves and and show that we're not just uh, mustache twirling, self important hipsters. You know, we can we can chuckle at our at our own foibles. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, and I think we've had we've had that criticism at times in the group that it's too snobby, and it's like, well, I mean, it isn't. Like you said, it is a niche group. I mean, you wouldn't go into a Star Trek forum and start calling them, you know, sci-fi nerds. Well, yeah, that's kind of the point they are. That's why they're in this group. And so I've always, I always find that a little strange that we get that criticism leveled at us. Because I think, like you said, I mean, it's it's a pretty spit and sawdust kind of group of people. The ones I know, at least. There's not a whole bunch of mustache twirling going on. So, And I don't have any wax for my beard, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> One of the other cool things to find out was there's this whole organic push for t-shirts yeah so How did that come about well so yeah so shelly hookluck um had contacted me just dm'd me and said hey i'm thinking about getting a beer lovers of saskatchewan t-shirt made up and she'd had some designs that she'd drawn up and so i offered obviously i do graphic design so i said well i can sort of vectorize that for you and then we put it out to the group and yeah i think 50 she ordered 50 t-shirts that first run um, and as soon as they went out, then a real clamor for when people started seeing them on people or maybe missed the post or whatever. Um, so she's talking about doing another order or two and then looking at potentially branching out into different styles because that was one of the things I think some people didn't want that sort of style of T-shirt. They wanted a V-neck or whatever it might be. So so branching out into that kind of stuff. I mean, again, it just, I, I think what it does is when people are wearing those out and about, people see that and they see Beer Loves of Saskatchewan. What is that? Maybe start asking the question. It's just a, like a little thing that you can open that door into that world, you know. And it's also good for we can identify. Oh, there's a fellow geek. There's a fellow beer geek. You know, it's like when you see someone with a. Well, five years ago, maybe when you saw someone with a Nicolmus t-shirt or a Rebellion t-shirt, you'd actually go, "Hey, how's it going? Like, are you into craft beer?" Whereas now you see him quite a lot, so it's not as big of a deal to see it now, right? So, so I think that's that same thing and just that sort of that sense of community that can rally around something like that is fantastic. So, Shelley, thanks so much for doing that. I love when I'm out at like say shoppers or I'm at the grocery store and I'll I'll have my shirt on and some guy'll be like, Hey, rebellion guy, good beer and I'm like, <laughs> Right? Good beer. Yeah. And I'll have or I'll have my, my Blackbridge shirt or hat <laughs> and invariably you get comments. Chris Klein told a, a told me a good story. He was down in California about 
I don't know, five or six years ago, and he had on a Rebellion t-shirt, and it's, you know, beer rebel, drink good beer. And uh, some California guy in a, I think he's got like a, a whatever, a brewery t-shirt or maybe whoever, Russian River or something, comes up and says, why would you have to be a rebel to drink great beer? Like, where are you, where are you guys from? So they just couldn't grasp this. What kind of beer are you drinking if you're a rebel if you drink good beer? Like, you know, so it's just sort of really sort of weird to them that there's that disconnect between being a rebel and drinking good. Well, just drink good beer. Yeah. <laughs> we had the exact same thing happen to us at the Great American Beer Fest. People were trading um, the shirts right off our staff's back because we didn't bring enough shirts to give away. Yeah. And they were just like, oh, man, i got to get one of these shirts. But that, that too, was, what the hell are you talking about? You have to be a rebel. <laughs> isn't that just the status quo? No, it's not. It's getting better, but it's not. It still isn't. Yeah. Speaking of great beer, the Canadian Brewing Awards – just took place a couple weeks ago and we saw rafter and your boys at 21st street and uh my guys and gals at rebellion we took home some medals i wanted to ask you uh, what do you think what were your general takeaways i mean just phenomenal right i mean getting recognized at that level and especially like you guys taking home best in show. I mean, that's just crazy. When you're up against, if you look at some of the breweries we have in Canada. I mean, we talk about our scene in, in Saskatchewan and how much it's improved and how good it is. And that's all true. But the Canadian scene is also growing a lot. And there are some phenomenal breweries across this country. So the fact that we're able to compete in our small little shops in, in, in good old backwater Saskatchewan, it's just a huge shot in the arm for the whole industry here. And I think it shows that, yeah, we can compete. We can make beers that are comparable with anything that's going on in the country that's just a fact we know that now right that's we can that's quantified we've, we've got actual evidence of that now so so yeah super cool and i mean for for casey to win you know i was super stoked that we won for for scarecrow because that's a, a really fun beer and it's one that's changed as, as they do i mean i know the lambics and the flanders they also the, the nice thing with those is keep a bottle for a year and see how it develops over time because that brett and some of those little funky yeast they do a lot of neat things um and so it's in a, it's such a good spot now so yeah I, I was just i was just blown away absolutely blown away you guys must have had a massive party <laughs> you know we didn't uh, it didn't. was i think six people were able to show up to the tap room and it was still very strong covid restrictions oh. so they just said we'll just keep it small it'll be the brew team and a couple other people and i remember i was at home watching uh on my phone uh, with my kids over the supper table because of the the time difference yep. they're they're already having their award ceremony in the evening and i'm just sitting down to have supper yeah no. immediately i was mark and i were texting back and forth yeah it was super cool i mean again and just i think that's only going to increase and improve as we you know when you think about some of those um the barrel series that jeff's put out with nicolmis Send some of those off because that you know the Berliner Weiss that he that he brewed and the and the the saison that's out there in the bottles is they're just absolutely amazing. The nine mile, I don't know whether you had the um, the nano series barrel aged double. I can't recall what I've had. I've had so much. <laughs> I'd have to check my Untapped to yeah. really look back and see what I had from nine mile. Because again, I mean, just, there's just so many amazing beers. Just either if you just go to sours and barrel aged beers in Saskatchewan over the last two years. Just some absolute world beaters coming out, right? And that's that's just not even talking about the pilsners and you know the lentil or the or the, the stouts that we put out and all those kind of the sours. But just those barrel aged beers, it, it, it's incredible. And I love every <laughs> single. Well, I've loved almost every single one of them. I'll say almost. And then the following, I think it was like a week and a half later, the Alberta Beer Awards came out, and we saw establishment and cabin, um, Medicine Hat, who you know is 
Mitch, who used to work at Bushwhacker, so there's some Saskatchewan roots there. Uh, our friends at Toolshed, Trouble Monk, all of them were bringing in hardware and awards. And it's not, it didn't seem like it was breweries who just pay to win. And then when I dug, dug a little bit deeper and I looked at the background, I realized that it's actual BJCP judges. It's a blind competition. There's there's no shenanigans. No one's sneaking in some money, quid pro quo, in the yep. back end to pull in these big awards. And I'm like, okay, so this is a serious thing. And so I kept I started bugging Mark, and I'm like, tell me more about the guys behind the Alberta Beer Awards. And we got in this huge discussion about. Uh, Talking to consumers, because ultimately it's kind of, it's not just bragging. It's not just a friendly competition. It's about marketing. Getting to say you were the best at something or you won gold or silver yeah. is a big deal for marketing, and it lends some credence to consumers. It just does. And then I, we got on the track of should Saskatchewan have beer awards? Is it time? Are we ready? And I wanted to ask you, what do you think? I, I think we absolutely should do, and, and I've, I've written in my notes almost exactly what you just said. It, it's if, if for no other reason, then it's a fantastic way to promote the industry in the province, right? So if you've got beer awards and they're published and they go beyond the, the province, so they'll go to the beer magazines, people in Alberta and BC will take notice of that. You know, reps will take notice of it, suppliers will take notice of it, all those kinds of things. Um, so even, even if we were just doing it for those reasons, I think that would be a good thing to do. But then it's also a good way to engage that local beer community again. You know, awards, people like those. They're, they're, they're a big thing and people like to see, you know, there's the North American thing about winners and losers. Quite, quite like seeing the loser. We like seeing the winner too, but, you know. Um, and so then, like I said, if you can engage the BJCP, the, the beer judge community, that's one thing, get them involved. And then engage people, you could, you know, you could do sort of people's choice awards and some of those types of things. You've got the blind, and I totally agree, that should be a blind um, tasting approach to actually judging the beers. That's the only way you can really do that with any, you know, credibility. But then engaging the, 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 the people in sort of picking things like, you know, you could do um, prizes for community outreach or for artwork and branding and some of those types of things that are not really... You can't really do that at a sort of a very objective level. Um, and then, you know, so like I said, the barrel age category alone would be like, so how the hell would you pick one beer to even to submit from most breweries? So no, I'd, I'd be, I think it's absolutely time. I think we should definitely do it. Um, and I'd be a huge supporter of it if, if it did come through. So, yeah. One of the things we were uh, looking at was it's going to be fresher. If you don't have to transport the beer halfway across the world to get to the competition and you know it's been stored and handled maybe a little bit more gently or nicer, you're not going to have to worry about breakages. It's going to be easier for us to get those special stuff because, sorry, this is a tangent thought, but I remember when we were shipping like these really amazing beers out to competition and we got a note back from the organizers saying, oh, your beers weren't judged because the bottles smashed in transit. And it's like, man, we, we put a lot of effort to pack those damn things. How did they smash? Like, what are you guys doing? And it, it was just like a heartbreaker because we, we figured we had some really deadly beers in those in those packages. And it wasn't just one year. It was multiple years where we had breakages and lost submissions to these competitions do you, do you think that plays i mean I, i'm sure it does like you said i mean again on in terms of sort of when you have to send your beers in and how long it's going to sit until it's judged 
well, that's going to change. I'm not going to send something like an IPA, like a real, like a wet hopped IPA that you think, well, that you need to drink that in six to eight weeks. But if it's four months away from competition and judging time, well, of course, it's not going to perform as well as something that's coming from the province where the competition is being judged. So I think that stops people from submitting some things. Then there's just the logistics of getting it there um, and the cost and that kind of stuff could, you know, that could, so homebound or, or shelter where they're really still at that nano level still. Can they afford to do that? Do they really want to go through the hassle of doing that? Um, so I think having that here, as you say, with, with the sort of being able to maintain that freshness and also just make it a Saskatchewan thing. You know, that's, that's we don't need to, we don't need to blow our horn to Quebec. We don't need to, always to tell them, but let's tell, let's pat ourselves on the back here and let's do it here, you know? The beer's made here, the, the ingredients are grown here, let's do the awards here. And when, to put it into context for the audience, uh, the awards were, the Canadian beer awards were held in Quebec this year. And they seem to bounce around, don't they? I'm pretty They're sure, yeah. Quebec every single year. No, I'm pretty sure they got, I and mean, that's one other thing we should at some point potentially lobby for is to get them here, is get the Canadian Beer Awards in Saskatchewan would be a, another good feather in our cap, right? Because then again, like you said, then we could have more submissions. I'm sure that more breweries would be inclined to enter the Pilsner category or the Lager category because again, you can get it there fresh, you can control it, so. Do we have a deep enough judging talent pool? I know we have the beer clubs and I know they're very active in terms of the home brewer level. Do we have enough people here who have the palate and the experience to, to manage a national competition? Very good question. And I'm one, I'm not too sure I know the answer to. Um, but again, that's- Maybe some... we fly in a bunch of judges from across the country and we just say, hey, come experience Regina, go see the city of Bridges, taste our food, taste our beer. And it turns into this big, huge tourism draw. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure, and I'm sure that that's what, you know, I'm sure that's what problems. Alberta probably did that in the early days and they would have had to, right? Because you, you don't have that many- BJCP judges at that level that you need to be, you know, sort of judging those types of beers. But then again, who knows? Maybe we do. I don't know. I don't. I don't really know what the the judging pool looks like in 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 the province. I know that you know the ales and the headhunters between them managed to put on pretty big competitions that get submissions from Alberta, BC, Manitoba. You know, so they're clearly respected enough to to bring in those that level of competition. So maybe they are. I don't know. I'm glad I got to to spend this time talking with you and, and hashing out some of these big ideas. They've been kicking around in my head for for weeks now, just thinking, what am I going to say to Kevin on this podcast? And, <laughs> and I'm glad we got to take this time and sit down and have it out. It's always fun talking to you, man, about, especially about beer, but about anything, really. You're a, you're a good, good chat. Thanks for uh, taking the time out. No problem at all, mate. Rebels, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, be sure to join us on our brand new Facebook group page, The Rebellion Brewing Podcast. I'm also proud to let you know we're members of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network. It's a one-stop shop for tons of locally produced shows from across our province. You can find them at saskpodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Untapped so you don't miss out on the latest in Sask Craft Beer news. Thank you for joining The Rebellion. <laughs>